You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Things that come to mind typically first off is sin, salvation, redemption. Today we're going to talk about how it was uh, an attempt to shut Jesus up, right? right. Uh, the Pharisees were tired of him talking. <laughs> All the religious leaders were tired of him talking. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. If you were a religious person, this guy, you, you weren't into him. And we've seen that throughout Matthew. So... Today we're going to look at the cross as uh, Jesus comes in as a prophet and he's speaking all these prophetic truths. He's speaking exactly what God would say. The Bible says when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. Uh, So whatever Jesus is doing, you're seeing the Father in that moment. That's like the biggest prophetic example you could ever have because the other prophets never saw him that clearly. But we, of course, know Jesus is God. So when we look at him, we see the Father. It's the biggest prophetic example in the Bible. And the religious people are so sick of it that they say, shut up, to the point that they nail him to a cross, give him the electric chair of their time, even more brutal. And then uh, and they finally get him to be quiet. So they think it actually creates the biggest uproar in history. But, you know, that's another thing. So. If you would like to read along with this parable, I love hitting on parables we never hit on. Jesus has greatest hits in the Bible. (laughs) This one, I don't think is one of them. So, if you would like to read along, Matthew 21, 33 to 46. I am in the English Standard Version, the ESV, if that's helpful to you. Here another parable. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He's been giving them lots of parables. Here's another one. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drawn drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first. And they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And then the religious people, they reply, they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So here they are. Jesus has come to their turf in the religious city, 
and they are already getting under Jesus's skin. Um, and in just a moment, like right off the bat, and then Jesus goes and tells them a parable about themselves. So in case, uh, in case the parable doesn't pop for you, here's the way to think of it. Okay. You've got God who's a landlord and he's bought a vineyard. Now in ancient times, you would get a vineyard and then lease it to tenants. These tenants, so in the same way that you might buy a house and let someone else live in it, you might buy a vineyard but let someone else work it. They get to keep a bunch of the fruit of the labor because of that. But the guy who owns the land gets a portion of that as well. Uh, In the first few years, uh, if you worked with us on Jackson Victory Gardens, you don't always get a lot of produce in the first few years. But as time goes on, it gets better and better. So um, here's God giving them a vineyard and they're to take care of it. So already our analogy is God is the landowner and the uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes and all of God's people. They're the ones who work this land. Now, God uh, sees that it's time for him to get the fruit of his of their labors. So he sends in a messenger, a servant, which would more or less, in my opinion, be the prophets. Um, God sends a prophet to the tenants and says, hey, you uh, it's that time of year. So why don't you bring in uh, whatever it is that you owe? May not even be that much, but, you know, you've had the vineyard for a year and I've set it all up for you. So go ahead and, and just pay what whatever needs to be paid. And instead of paying that money, what they do instead is they abuse these prophets. They stone them and they kill one of them. God sends his prophets to them and God's people kill them instead of listen to them, instead of give them the fruit that they're supposed to have. So. God sends more, which is interesting because usually when someone murders one of my servants, not that I have servants, if someone were to murder one of my servants, I would probably take you to court. But instead, the parable as it's told is just God is patient, loving, and despite how ridiculous they just acted, he sends some more servants. And these servants are supposed to do what the last ones did to receive that fruit. But instead... These guys do the same thing. They abuse them, they stone them, and they kill them. And this time there was even more prophets than the three. This time there's more, and they all get abused. So God finally decides, all right, all right, they're not listening to my messengers, to my servants, to my prophets. Even though I sent them to do this work, even though I sent them there, they're not listening. So I am going to send my son because he's my son. You can't kill my son. These servants in their eyes... Maybe they're not thinking much of them, but they'll know this guy. This is my son, and you're not going to get away with just killing him. Of course, the son in the parable is Jesus. Jesus is this mega prophet, the son. God sends him, the landlord sends him, and he comes to them. And what do they do? Same thing. They kill him. They kill him. Anyways, these tenants should get in trouble, but God is gracious with them, sends his son, but then they go the ultimate distance and they kill the son. And Jesus is like, what would you do? What would you do if this parable were true? And they're like, well, we would, we would definitely uh, see that these guys saw justice. They would probably get killed and they would have to pay back the landlord. So the Pharisees believe that... Uh, they believed that the tenants should face consequences for their actions. Okay? 
Now, in the Old Testament, there's a story about David and a prophet named Nathan. Maybe you remember this story. David has committed a pretty big sin, and Nathan comes and tells him a parable. He's like, here's a little parable. And the way he writes this parable, David's the bad guy, but David doesn't know that. So after David hears the parable, he's like, oh man, that guy deserves death. That guy deserves uh, punishment. He has to pay back like four times what he stole. And the prophet's like, that bad guy is you, man. You're the bad guy in the parable. And David's response is to repent. He still faces consequences, pretty severe consequences, actually. But despite the fact that he faces these consequences, um, he still repents. The Pharisees in this moment, Jesus talks to them and they perceive that Jesus is talking about them. But despite all that, they still don't repent. Instead, their hearts are hardened to go the distance to make sure that Jesus gets killed. They should have reacted like King David, but instead they did not. Now, this is sometimes a knee-jerk reaction, right? Sometimes we get really intense about the things that people say to us, and rather than repent, it hardens our heart and we come back. And Jesus was a prophet who just... The words that he spoke were often very intense, very hard to stomach. You got to realize that's part of the reason, one of the main reasons for the cross is they wanted to shut him up. They wanted to stop him from talking. Today, when we think of prophetic people, we think of Twitter. I don't know why, but for some reason, you get on Twitter and you just see that there's all these like big name Christians who make these statements about social justice and all things like this. Like, ah, they've got these prophetic messages. But in the Bible... Uh, prophetic messages were not just social justice messages. They're also messages straight from God. And all these messages were meant to be on the same plane. It's not just social justice prophets and prophets from God. They are one and the same, not meant to be separated. But when we think of prophets today, it's either like, ah, this very conservative person and all of the conservative things they say, or this very liberal person and all the liberal things they say about Jesus. For Jesus, he doesn't fit in any of those categories because that's not prophetic. Liberals and conservatives, that is a human thing. That's a box that we created. You got to realize in Jesus's times, he ticked off the conservative religious people and he ticked off the liberal conservative people. He couldn't fit in any of their boxes and it drove them nuts. So, of course, kill the heretic, right? Almost as though, like, I'd rather him be a Sadducee on that side than be the person that he is. I'd, and the Sadducees, I'd rather him be a Pharisee on that side than be the person he is. But because he doesn't fit into any of our groups and he doesn't make God look like any of the ways that we've painted God to be, we just can't deal with him. But Jesus shows us that a true prophetic person is bound to tick everyone off. <laughs> doesn't matter if you're liberal, conservative, or the Green Party. Go Nader, right? Is that still a thing? No. Who's Nader? <laughs> all right, Darth Nader, got it. Uh, all that being said, Jesus doesn't fit in any of these boxes. And the prophetic starts to show us that in Jesus, if we, when we look at Jesus, if we have finally seen the Father when we look at Jesus, then guess what? That right there, that's the prophetic image. And it doesn't blend into all the other things that, that we think it would blend into. It doesn't just fit in a, a few words on a tweet. It's a life that is lived that does call out for social justice, but also calls out the words 
that God speaks. And when you're living the prophetic life, when you're living like Jesus, it means that sometimes you are going to have a faith that is quite uncomfortable. Because there's going to be things that you're called to that that you don't want to do. (laughs) I've had that happen. I remember I had a dream once, and I don't know if it was accurate or not. No one came up to me after, and I understand why. Um, But I had this dream that, like, I don't even remember how it went. But in some way, I felt like I was supposed to get on the stage and say, someone here has made a sacrifice to the god Pan. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me? At least give me something that makes sense to it. But like in, in ancient times, there was this little G-god named Pan who represented a lot of sexual type stuff. And I had this dream that like you got to get up on stage and be like, who's going to sacrifice to Pan? Repent now. I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to get on stage and have that weird conversation. And no one came up to me after and said, I sacrificed to Pan. But, you know, um, and, and that's metaphorical, I think, just that someone has... Uh, given their life over to sexuality on a level and they need to to repent but nonetheless like that was a word that i just felt on me like jamin if you're going to live the prophetic life if you're going to live like jesus then you're going to have to say something that you don't really want to say that's going to make you uncomfortable so you got to step up just like jesus had to say things that people didn't want to hear and words that ultimately got him killed uh i had a dream one time of uh another pastor that i know just an acquaintance i don't know them super well but I had a dream that like they needed to kind of like free their worship leader in, in some way. And I wasn't really sure what that meant. I just saw kind of like their worship leader in a cage. And, I, you know, like I said, I don't know that these things are God always. You can have your own normal dream. But in that moment, like I was held reliable in some way to say, OK, Jamin, first discern, was this you or was this God? And if it was God, what are you going to say? <laughs> in that case... I didn't tell them. It was actually like three months later I brought it up. Hey, I had this dream. And then I didn't even tell them as it was. I kind of like watered it down because I didn't want to tell someone I didn't know. You got to let your worship leader fly, man. You know, like. (laughs) But eventually, like, I felt like, all right, I got to follow this uncomfortable feeling and and maybe put it out there. And so I I said that. I think of John Wimber on a plane. John Wimber on a plane, not an experience many have had and not one many want to have. I've shared it before, but this guy started the, uh, help me out, Kathy. Vineyard. Vineyard. Thank you. The Vineyard Church Movement. And John Wimber's on a plane and he sees this guy in a business suit walk in and across his head, he sees the word adultery. (laughs) And he's like, okay, I don't want to deal with this right now. Uh, But then as he's... uh, uh, looking at him, the guy like notices he's looking at him. He's like, what do you want? <laughs> he's like, uh, and then he had the name of the person that he was sleeping with pop into his mind. He's like, hey, um, do you know someone by this name? He's like, let's go in the back. So <laughs> they go in the back of the plane. You find out he's been sitting next to his wife. Of course, he doesn't want to have the conversation there. Uh, but they go to the back of the plane and John Wimber just feels even even more conviction on him. He's like, Look, man, I just feel like God's saying, like, he's going to take your life if you don't repent of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he tells him that. And you would think this guy would just be like, excuse you. But instead, he instantly breaks down, instantly repents, and starts praying the greatest prayer John Wimber's ever heard. It's like, what do I do now? He's like, well, I think we need to tell your wife, and you should probably do it right now. 
How do you think this story is going to end, huh? <laughs> Snakes on a plane ain't got nothing on John Wimber on a plane. It's just intensity right here. John Wimber says that the story ends with both of them getting saved before they get off the plane. Look, I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know what gaps are missing right there. But he follows the uncomfortability of the prophetic word that for some, they'd hear that and they wouldn't repent. Their hearts would be too hard like the Pharisees. But for him, a heart more like David, he hears the prophetic word. He sees who he is and he accepts God in that moment. Somehow his wife gets saved and they get off of that plane as different people. This, this is a strange story. But it makes us uncomfortable to have those moments like Jesus did. And like I said, prophetic moments aren't always uncomfortable. In the New Testament, prophecy is also described to be comforting, encouraging, and other positive words as well. But uh, nonetheless, we still do see these moments uh, where living out Jesus should make us uncomfortable. Probably more often than not, to be honest. Uh, Christians are so desperate today to blend in with the world. I remember, I remember my own life starting to turn that route when Christian music started getting more rock and roll. It's like, all right, now people will listen to us <laughs> because our music sounds not like old hymns anymore. And so like, it just kind of became a like, look, we can be cool too. But eventually it just took over our mindset. Like we can be so worldly that people will never tell we're Christian and then they'll find out and be like, yeah, you didn't know, did you? Pretty cool, huh? As though that's going to lead people to Jesus. But Jesus showed us that the world that we live in, we're going to be at odds with it when we live the life that he calls us to, the prophetic life that he calls us to. A lot of times prophets today, uh, at least the ones you find on Twitter, always have these words that blend into the world. And that, that confuses me. When all the words that they have to say, when the world is like, yeah, I like that word. I'm like, well, then where's the Jesus in it? Because <laughs> the world killed Jesus. Now, there's lots of aspects to Jesus that the world will like, of course. But in full, they can't stand them. And so when you see Jesus turn into a tweet that everyone out there is like, yeah, I like that guy. I think when you look at the fullness of Jesus, you realize, like, he said himself, <laughs> I haven't come to bring peace, but I brought a sword. It's going to separate all your families apart. Living this thing out is going to divide people. They're not going to be able to, to stand it. Fathers will turn against children. Mothers will turn against children. Everyone just lines that you never thought would be separated will be separated. And so when you look at the world and you see all the words that they have to say, you have to be discerning as to what you're listening to. Because actually... When someone always has positive words to say from a prophetic aspect, biblically, that sometimes makes you a false prophet. <laughs> I think of uh, Jeremiah 28. There's a prophet named Hananiah. I don't know if you know this story or not. But there's this prophet named Hananiah, and he's like, God's coming back in two years to fix everything. So it's going to be great. And Jeremiah, this prophet that we know pretty well, he's like, dude, that's great. I love that word. Everybody's been talking about doom and gloom. You're talking about God fixing things in two years. That's wonderful. And then Jeremiah leaves. And then God comes to Jeremiah. He's like, that wasn't a true word, bro. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> okay. 
he's like, now you got to go to Hananiah and tell him what's up. You got to tell him that he, he's, uh, he's going to face judgment for this false prophetic word that he's been giving. And so you see in that moment, like Hananiah wanted, you know, the followers, wanted the likes, wanted the retweets, if you will. He wanted people to kind of come alongside him and take the word that's all blessing and all happiness when God's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I actually have something else I'm up to right now. So when everything's always happy, that, that misses the prophetic because Jesus has a lot to say about where we're at right now and, and the way that sin clouds it. So we need to be careful. Tweets are not the Bible. Popular is not the voice of Jesus. And the prophetic is not a worldly view. So in the end, our words, they got to sound like Jesus. And the good news is that even when it's a strong word, Jesus is loving. God is loving. The Holy Spirit, his main fruit is what? It's love. So even when words are hard, like it still comes with love. I don't know if you've ever had like a convicting word before. Uh, but there's this weird side of love to it that's hard to explain. Like I remember one night I was lying in bed and God just broke me uh, for my sin. I was bawling on my bed. But I wasn't, I didn't feel condemned. I didn't feel hated. I felt loved. Even though there was this difficult side to it. I responded uh, with repentance. So love, uh, love does not mean everything is always going to be great and happy. Prophecy does not always come across great and happy, but it's important. And the prophets have had a lot to say for a long time. And you know what? When it comes to God following people, we've just killed a lot of them, shut up a lot of them, told them to stop speaking. Jesus, we hung on a cross. Jesus said that the prophets before that, we were killing them. If you look throughout the Bible, you see these stories of prophets who just didn't want to speak. Jeremiah, he's like, look, God, you, you're making me this lonely guy. No one wants to be my friend. No one wants to be my friend, and, and I don't want to tell these words. But I know that if I don't speak out these prophetic words, suddenly there's a fire raging in my bones, and I have to say it. Jeremiah understood, like, I would rather have friends than be a prophet. <laughs> But you keep calling me to the difficult task. So some questions to ask ourselves as we close up. And I know I'm a little scatterbrained tonight. I apologize. But some questions to ask yourself as the band comes up. Um, one, when was the last time you were actually uncomfortable about your faith? When was the last time you were uncomfortable about your beliefs because they didn't line up with what everyone wanted you to believe? Two, when was the last time you maybe realized that you abused a prophetic message? Maybe you didn't go up and punch the guy in the face. <laughs> but maybe you uh, just couldn't stand it. Maybe you gossiped about it later, telling everyone about, oh, I really don't like them. I, I think they're completely off on that. Maybe that was the way that you abused a prophetic message. And three, uh, when was the last time you told Jesus to shut up? When was the last time you, you took him to the cross to say, mm, I don't want that message in my life. 
was the last time you felt like you joined with the Pharisees to try to kill that voice from speaking to you? Words are not always easy, but they are, when it's God, always love. And we need to to live for that. So let's pray. God, your word today shows us that uh, your very people can be opposed to you. To not want to hear what your servants have to say, your prophets have to say. That we might abuse them, that we might stone them, that we might kill them. So you might go the distance to say, all right, I'll send my son. They'll respect him. But God, our hearts can be so hard sometimes that we might even kill your son. God, it's all great when prophetic words are lollipops and gumdrops. Just pouring out words of, of affirmation. But sometimes you come to us with that conviction. That's still love. We still feel completely loved. But we know we gotta, we got to repent. we got to feel the weight of our hearts being broken. So here we are right now. Uh, just bringing before you some real honest questions from our lives. Are we ever uncomfortable in this world because we're Christian or do we always blend in? Because Jesus, you didn't blend in. Are we like the Pharisees abusing prophets that you send us? And are we responding like them and trying to shut you up? Just give us wisdom to search our hearts and and know truth on these matters so that we might uh, mirror the true you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. God, you're worthy of it all, including the persecution of the world, including not blending in. Here in America, we get away with it pretty easily. We're not uh, persecuted for our faith, uh, at least not in the ways that others are. So we can often find ways to blend in. God, sometimes no one yells at the church more than the church. Granted, there's good reasons for that, too. So you do have many words of uh, approval for your bride. You still see her as beautiful. One day you will make her to be without blemish. But God in the Bible... decided to let other people in just as the Pharisees in today's parable said look that landowner needs to give that land away to someone who's actually going to take care of it Jesus you said yeah and he's going to 
As the Bible proceeds, we see it's the Gentiles. It's us here in this church, the people who many of us don't have Jewish roots. We were always on the outside, but you said, now them, those Gentiles, I'm going to give them the vineyard. They're going to take care of it. They're going to give me fruit when I ask for the fruit. They're going to listen to my prophets. They're going to listen to my servants. And God, the things those Gentiles in the past had to sacrifice to get to you, so much more than we sacrifice today. Yeah, we might be ousted by our friends, but God, they had to leave their very fabrics of being. They had to leave their false gods they had to leave their religions their family even today God we still see it when uh, when people decide to join you they might leave a Muslim faith or another faith and we hear the stories today of the persecution that comes on those people who leave their faiths to go to the one true God, Yahweh, and His one true Son, Jesus. They put it all on the line. They're not trying to blend in with the world. They just lost the world. So may we be able to love well while being in this world, but not of it. You don't call us to be jerks because we're different, but you do call us to be different. So let's fall through with that. In Jesus' name, you are worthy. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us tonight. You are dismissed, and we will catch you next week, if not sooner. Thanks.